0: Welcome, and thank you for tuning into to Organon, the official podcast of Ology Research Group, exploring contemporary social issues via data, insights, and change. Social constructs are defined as a social mechanism, phenomenon, or category created and developed by a society. It's also described as a perception of an individual, group, or idea that is constructed through cultural or social practice. We know that things like race, gender, government, and even beauty are all considered to be social constructs. We then got curious, is marriage also a social construct, or would marriage happen naturally without social influences? Present today to talk about this, from New York City, we just have myself today, Carl Letamedi, and recording from Los Angeles, we have...
1: Hey there, KC Shab,
2: And Courtney Harassi.
0: And I will take it away. I was just reflecting on a project that I had to do for my marriage and family class as an undergrad. And interestingly, this was a class that was part of uh, an elective within the bachelor's program in business administration. And one would wonder, why the heck is there a marriage and family class in a business curriculum? And it falls align line with the marketing and consumer behavior, because if you have an understanding of how families work in a society, then you could technically sell to them also. And it's very evident when you look at uh, marketing or advertisements on TV and you see like a happy family running down the beach in the, in the keys, right? We've always seen those kinds of, of advertisements. And what was interesting about that assignment is that the concept of what a marriage is differs across different cultures, and it kind of just evolved into what we have today. And it's interesting to think about marriage as a social construct because if there weren't these forces in society dictating what a family should be and what a couple ought to look like, would people by default, like as human Homo sapiens, would we still like fall in love and stay with one person forever? Or is it inherent in like or is it in our nature to want to be with a bunch of people? And that's the that's what I wanted to pose um on the table. What do you guys think? Well, since I'm single as fuck, <laughs> I'm with the latter. <laughs>
1: okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, from my, I I I read something about it, and for the life of me, maybe it's because it's early. I can't remember if the just ph- physiological th- opinion was we aren't, um, but but that's I think it's probably a social construct just me trying to be open about it I think it's something that we decide to do just because being in a relationship for a long period of time no matter I think how long you're together it takes work and it doesn't come I would say naturally it's something you have to think about
0: Hmm. so then do you think that if it weren't for like social um, influences or like religion for example because that's like a very huge driver of the concept of marriage do you think that people are just naturally like polygamous or that people just fall in love with one person and stay with them forever and
1: ever I, honestly um, I don't really think it's like the question chicken or the egg question like if society is not there are we going to be motivated to be to couple Um, I think, but I'm not sure if there's a good good answer to that, because that's a hypothetical situation. What I'm curious now, as you know, in the modern history where marriage is not such a huge factor in how people couple that if it's even relevant or should even apply it. Mm-hmm. For example, we know that marriage in the past have been more of an economic contrast than it is about the idea of love and the idea that, you know, we can get fulfillment and, you know, that we're connecting with a person. You know, that to me is more of a novel, new concept that's only exists with, what, the, the earlier 20th century mm-hmm. uh, with our grandparents, you know, who started that trend. Or, or, or actually, I think it was our parents who really, like, Grace idea of love and commitment mm-hmm. uh, but now like as in de- I, I, I think as we have more economic stability and independence uh, that marriage is really more of an obsolete concept
0: mm-hmm.
1: what, what do you guys think?
0: well I have a, a fun fact that, that um, I read in a psychology today article about polygamy and mm-hmm. what, first and foremost how would you how would you all describe polygamy
2: having um, multiple partners and being well, okay but, with it
1: uh, well apparently <laughs> not, i see more like having multiple lovers partner yeah like investing emotionally into different partners i mean sexually everyone can do that
0: Okay, so Cor- Courtney was right about <laughs> the, about the having. um Well, the uh polygamy is is less about like the the informal partnership, but more about the marriages. Like, so it's like a like a socially constructed formal okayness of multiple partnership. But there's two different types of polygamy. There's polygyny and poly- polyandry. No, poly polygyny and polyandry. Polygamy is when you have one husband and multiple wives. And polyandry is when there's one wife and multiple husbands, which also happens. And there's this uh, code, no- code book called the Ethnographic Atlas Codebook that um, highlights 1,231 cultures. And they say that 84.6% are classified as polygynous, polygynous 15.1% as monogamous, and 0.3% as polyandrous. Um, it says it further says that polygyny is much more common than polyandry. But it does happen. And one culture that I know that where we're um, kind of like the, the, the women may be more in that position of having um, is one woman and, and multiple partners would be the Musu tribe in northern China. Ooh. for for example and the men are not even allowed to own property and it's kind of like a shame to be born a man in that society but then again that's also a social construct so um mm-hmm. even though it's very different from the concept of like what we consider to be a um, a marriage one per you know one man w- uh, one woman or two men or two women but two people m- moving about their lives together um it's interesting
1: i think he- yeah. i think I think we're, we're social creatures driven to connect with other people. I think mm-hmm. that's something that innately, uh, psychological, you know, that's, regardless of where side you're in, we'll always need that that need to belong. Now, the idea of having marriage, um, I don't think, I, I think that's completely social. Because, um, uh, and I don't think we need to be. In a marriage or committed relationship and the reason why i'm saying this is because you know i've been single for the past year or so ish and i'm actually finding that um i am actually liking myself more like and there's lots of studies to show that actually people who are single um are actually just as happy if not more so happy more happier than people in relationships and being in a relationship actually doesn't make you happier, you know. Um, it, it you might be happy initially, like mm-hmm. through lust, and you know, but after a while, your emotion settles, and you know, you your peak, you you're at a valley that everyone's at, um, mm-hmm. and it's like, for example, being single, you invest, you're because you don't have the other partner, you're more invested in your friends, you're more invested in what you like. You know, you're more likely to focus on what your needs are Um, in relationship. You you, sometimes you have to compromise, or sometimes you have to like negotiate, or you have to work with that person. Um, Yeah, Hmm.
2: I I think I think being in a relationship, kind of to your point, Casey, um, you have to develop that first on your own, and it takes a while to realize that you need to develop that. I actually, I was listening, just me perusing on my normal Facebook. And since Will Smith is a 90s idol, I was actually listening to what he had to say. And he was, he said something interesting about how him and his wife Jada, like at some point in time, they just kind of, he just stopped and he was like, you know what, I'm done with trying to make you happy. You need to make yourself happy. And they kind of do it, did it in like a casual way where they're kind of joking about it. But that's when they realized that it's not necessarily the other partner's job to make you as an individual. Like it's not my fiance's job to make me happy on a day to day. I'm responsible for my individual happiness. And it's really about two people on a journey. And then you're just on your separate journeys that happen to be together. And I kind of, like that perception of it because it means that you still have your independence and you still have what you like but then you compromise where you want to compromise just given how you work through your relationship and it's finding a partner who's willing to support you from that but allows you to kind of thrive in your own environment mm-hmm.
0: i think that's good because you mentioned the, uh, the key word that stuck out to me there was um support and i think a lot of a lot of relationships that. Don't end well are because instead of support, it's more like possession, you know, like you belong to me now because we're married or maybe like Casey was saying also about that social construct. I think there's also kind of like a sub subculture construct because some couples aren't getting married, for instance, but then they're like they feel like they're totally bound to each other because they have kids together, for example. So then they're like, oh, why get married? We already have a kid. So you're stuck with me.
1: Mm. I totally have a good quote for this. Um.
2: (laughs) 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 Well, I think think their relationships, too, can be defined by, like, or they're looked at in different ways. I feel like there's the one way where you're kind of, like, you understand you have to work at a relationship in order to make it work. And then there's the romanticized version from, like, TV and stuff where they only show you maybe the first two months of someone dating. And then they cut out and then happily ever after where you expect it to be like that for the rest of your life. Like in high Mm -hmm. school, you're like, oh no, the butterflies are gone, gotta cut it because now I I must not like this person anymore because you don't know what it's really like to be in a long-term relationship when you're a kid. And then you kind of grow and you develop, you're like, okay, it's really a conscious decision slash commitment because this person, you know, makes you a better person. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's kind of how love evolves, at least for me, um, from just to where I am today.
1: Yeah, I mean, when, um, remember a time when you guys were actually single? (laughs) Um, I have a question for you, which is, do you feel like as a person, did you grow more when you were single versus, um, more when you're in a relationship? Or do you feel like in a relationship, you're more like steady growth versus being single where you're like, more like,
0: bam! I think for me, Maybe the, I'm going to try to answer that question. Uh, when I, when, when I finished my undergrad, like I, I came out of a bad breakup when I was in undergrad. And then that's when I said, screw it. I don't want to be with anybody. And then that's how, like, I really gave 110% to school. And I was mm-hmm. able to, like, I used, like, I replaced school with friends and with romantic encounters and all that stuff. So, like, I, just submerge myself in school 100% and 10%. Um, so in grad school, uh, when I met Jasmine, I didn't really have the intentions of being with anyone, but then we were, we had a very like mutually supportive friendship, which was pretty cool. And then it evolved from there. So I would say that, um, it, it kind of looked like maybe like I was coming out of a trough ending, um, undergrad for a little bit. And then like, I pursued grad school right away so I started going like a little bit like on the incline and then when I met Jasmine then it just kind of like sped up the growth process if that makes sense Hmm. What about you Courtney?
2: Um, when I think it's probably similar to Carl in a lot of ways where I I had a bad breakup when I had like maybe my first couple years in undergrad and then I went out with my friends a lot and I just kind of did things and I kind of was like I don't really like this uh I probably wouldn't have done it if I wasn't if I was still in a relationship but either way I don't know if it influenced me in a large way because I was like I still don't like it I don't go back to what I was normally doing And I feel like the growth trajectory was probably about the same just because I'm always where I didn't usually see my significant other for five days a week and I would only see them two days a week. So I had five days of independence time and it was consistently like that, even with my current fiance until recently when he moved in. So Mm -hmm. there was there was still a lot of time where I could do my own thing, which I think helped it thrive in that way, too. In a lot of ways, because it allowed me to vent and kind of get stuff off my chest. But at the same time, being able to kind of focus and drill down on school. Uh,
0: I think it's just a bad idea to get involved with people when you're in, in undergrad. I don't know. <laughs> because <laughs> you're, you're still you're still like growing into someone. You know what I mean? You, you're still like because when you're in school, you're like, hey, I'm determined to go to school and finish so that I can be blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, if you become involved with someone during that phase and you haven't gotten to where you want to be yet, then it's kind of like you're, you know, you're being torn into two different places. I totally yeah. agree. I mean,
1: for me, I dated someone my whole undergraduate and most of my graduate years. And like, I, I looking back, I don't think I was able to grow as an individual and I'd learned a lot of unhealthy habits and relationships that now I'm like unlearning. Um, but then when looking back, I'm not sure if I want to take away that experience either because, um, you know, it's like having your favorite shirt—you're never gonna wear it again. But just throwing away it's just a thought, <laughs> like throwing away, I'm like I don't know, <laughs> you know. So um, I don't, yeah.
2: I think. Uh since all of us kind of went through a similar experience, I do think it's part of the growing process because mm-hmm. you don't realize you're doing quote-unquote unhealthy relationship activities until after the fact. And you're like, oh man, that was really bad. Courtney, don't ever do that again in your life because that's <laughs> not a proper way to act as a human being. And then you're <laughs> like, and then you can go, okay. And then you can tell that to your kids and you can warn them as much as you can and then they'll go through the same thing. But I think you feel, you kind of need that hurt to figure out what you want, and kind of to drive you to move forward. Because if everything's grave for your whole life, I think it be, it strains your future relationships as well, just because you don't know. And then you have this weird amnesty of not knowing what's out there. And then you kind of like, maybe you decide to break up, because you're like, well, if I dated someone else, I've never experienced that before. And then you kind of have that whole debacle too. But I guess it's up to the individual.
0: Mm-hmm yeah
1: well do you think i mean this kind of side tour but what do you guys think about you know open relationships and you know um
0: yeah um i like to think about motive first because there's there's a motivation for saying i'm not going to do what is what has been socially constructed i'm going to do this other thing which is be in an open relationship and I think the primary driver for people who are in in open relationships, like you have your main person but then you go out and do your own thing and then come back, is that they're in pursuit of instant gratification. And I think that people who maybe toy with that idea of being in an open relationship do so because they're not getting gratification from their main person. And I really like the... Um, this this book that was written by a marriage and family therapist slash anthropologist um, who who wrote this book called the Five Love Languages, and I never forgot what the five were. And it was basically this concept that there's like five different ways that you express to the person you're with that you love them. So this is like your deep like how you speak love to the person and a way that you prefer to receive it, and that an incompatibility exists when the type of love language you like receiving is not what you're getting from the person and the five love languages are gift giving acts of service physical touch quality time and words of affirmation and it was based on like this um, multicultural study where the guy went around the world and tried to learn about how different cultures uh, love each other but what he found was instead of finding differences there were lots of similarities And so just to give you like an example, gift giving is when you come home, you know, with like flowers or like, you know, like a present for the person you're with. Some people really like that. But people like me, for example, like I don't really value receiving gifts that much. So when I get gifts, like I don't see that as an act of love. I'm like, oh, cool. Thanks. Um, Then there's other like like acts of service, for example, is like, hey, I'm going to wash clothes for us. I'm going to do the dishes. I'm going to do this. Those are acts of services. Physical touch is not just sexual. It's also like holding hands and hugging and stuff, sitting on the person's lap. Um, physical contact. Some people are very irritated by that. So if you really like physical touch, but the person you're with does not give you physical touch, then you're going to seek it somewhere else for, because you're, you're in pursuit of that type of fulfillment. Then words of affirmation is just saying like, Hey, you look great. You're smart. You're beautiful. That's uh, w- um, words of affirmation. And then quality time is just being with the person. Some couples like um li- like in the situation where you have two physicians or two surgeons in a relationship that work like so many hours and they rarely get a chance to see each other. It, it could work out if they both don't value quality time. But when you have the situation where, you know, the dad, you know, the 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 person's a pilot. And the other person is like a stay at home or like freelance or whatever. If the freelance person very highly values quality time, but the person they're with doesn't give it to them, they're going to pursue it in some other way. And sometimes they can pursue it um, by by seeking friends or family that could satisfy them in that way. But if they if if they have to go outside, then you run the risk of the person, you know, running off with someone else. So that's what I think, like the open the open relationship is re- is in reality a pursuit of instant gratification that you're not getting from the main person.
1: Um, yeah, but I'm not sure I can connect that with the five languages of love only because um, like it sounds um, well, this is how I'm interpreting it. Well, uh, because you're not stroking your lover's language of love, they're not getting what they need, so they're gonna go uh, pursue external, um, uh, gratifications. Um, maybe there's something more to it. I mean, um, I guess I've had experience, I mean, uh, of, you know, uh, having fun with couples in open relationships, and I'm always fascinated, uh, cause I've always like asking them, like, what is it that, like, drives you, like, do you feel jealous, do you know, would you do this, you know, da-da-da. And I think for me, I can categorize them into two groups. One of them are doing it to savage the relationships, which I kind of find more often than not. And the other ones where they have this complete, genuine feeling of kind of like, uh, like the, the confidence about the relationships and like they love each other in every single way. But sometimes they just feel like they need to have sex with other men. I'm- right. I
0: think it's I think it's risky though because if 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 a bond is established between the person and another man, for instance, then there's that risk of of losing the main love that you're with. You know, and being I don't know. It's interesting though. I know. See all the stuff you get. Well,
1: oh, I guess you, you might have to deal with that too. I bet you are never. Uh, <laughs> but like, um, I you know before I used to have a very closed minded perception of open relationships, but when I'm being single is kind of forcing me to be more open and kind of see. Because now the way I see relationship is, I feel like it's a lot more fluid. You know, it's it's it's. it's, it's Human sexuality is complex. Mm-hmm. So I think a relationship would be complex too. It's just hard to just like to define or put one narrative in a relationship and say, well, this is it. You mm-hmm. know? Um what are your thoughts, Courtney?
2: I think I think being in a relationship, whether it be with one person or multiple, is a conscious decision. Cause I have friends who are in open relationships and I'm like, more to you if you can deal with that, but I know me as an individual of how I've been raised, I would not be able to handle that very well, just me as myself. And I think understanding of what type of relationship you are in is part of how you develop and kind of how you form your opinions. So I think, Casey, the kind of the stage you're in is maybe you're testing it out to see if that's what you'd be comfortable with. And that's a conscious decision, because I really do feel like long term relationships and like long term happiness is a decision that you decide to make for yourself because you understand how you tick and what's going to mean the most to you. So even with the love languages, I feel like um we it's funny enough, we were actually talking about it yesterday, like my the way i show my kind of love is kind of how i was raised too because my mom would always be like oh you want that then she would go out of her way and she would buy us something so like i'm like oh if someone kind of mentioned something in passing then i'll go get it and i'll give it to them like oh you remembered and then they're all happy so it kind of makes me feel good Mm -hmm. but and then for kazuto um my fiance, he was more about like doing acts of service. So he'll go out of his way to like do the dishes and like pick up groceries from time to time and like do those little things, which is something that resonated for him when he was younger. And I was like, oh, I guess it's also part of your upbringing. So mm-hmm. it's really, it's really how you register what makes you feel good. Um, and then just being able to accept it.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. That's good. But it's interesting talking about this because there's like, um like all these social expectations of like, like you fall in love and then these seven things happen in this exact sequence, right? Like, oh, you get married, kids, 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 and then buy a house, buy a house, right? Like in that order. Um, So it's, it's funny to see that. But if you have a strong understanding uh, as a couple of what it is that you both want, it doesn't necessarily have to be what, your friends and family or what society dictates it is happiness for you you get to choose that even if it is being in an open relationship as Casey was mentioning about his friends so I think it's all about just what makes you happy it's better for you to to, to live your life doing whatever it is that makes you happy than to follow social mm-hmm. norms and be miserable
2: mm-hmm. I I'm also so think you
0: know, I'm sorry, sorry. sorry I'm sorry I'm thinking, yeah.
2: no go ahead Casey
1: i i think we i don't think social norms are bad i I mean like a lot of like being happy or trying to find your happiness is' itself a social norm um and and, and like um uh, and honestly the pursuit of happiness is not necessarily a good thing either um because sometimes you know like you just you i think it's more contentness or something you know. Because you have peaks and valleys, and you can't you can't change those Like when you're feeling like crap.
0: um, Yeah.
2: No, I think you have a point, Casey, but it's really like, I know it's going to be really vague what I say, but it's really your personal interpretation of happiness. I know I, as an individual, always have this struggle where I'm kind of like, what's the next thing I'm going to do? What's the next thing I'm going to do? And then I'm always stressed out because I'm like, oh my god, I'm never going to be happy. Because it's just this stressful thing, and you don't really know, because you expect your peaks to be your always. And if you're not your always, then you're like, what am I doing wrong? What's that next thing to kind of like spark that? And then, just out of nowhere, I decided to read this book that was recommended by my headspace app kind of group on Facebook, which was ten percent happier by Dan Harris. And oh, I'm nice kind of that. a I'm a kind of a cynical person from time to time, and I'm kind of I try to be grounded in terms of like, does it really help. But just given that perspective where he was an anchor, and he was very, like, like questionable, or like, didn't understand how meditation worked, and was just didn't believe in it too much. I'm like, okay, that's kind of what where I was coming from, too. And then I was reading through his thing. And like, it's not more so about feeling happy all the time is being able to identify it and then moving from there. And I really took that to heart and I would say out of all the books that I've probably read in the near term, it's made the most influence because it just I, it teaches you to t- identify what you're feeling and determining if it's useful or not and then moving on if you need to. And I think that just really helped me be okay with being quote-unquote bored on a day today, or during some parts of my life because you can't feel every single moment with what you're doing at the top peak of what you're doing. I think that would be drugs. So (laughs) um, I think it's kind of just being able to identify it.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. Cool. Uh, So now we're at that 30-minute mark. Do you guys want to move on to the bottom line? Sure. sure. All right, cool. So let's rock, paper, scissor to see who gets to ask a question. And there's three of us, so this should work out. <laughs> Hopefully. All right, ready? Rock, paper, scissor, shoot. <sighs> okay, all scissors. All scissors. Rock, paper, scissor, shoot. Oh, uh, Courtney. Courtney gets it.
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to ask the same question that was posed to me yesterday because I had a very difficult time answering it. You, as an individual, if you were to categorize your from the five um, languages of love that Carl said, which one are you the most receptive to? And I'll pass it off to Carl first, since he knew what the languages of love were first.
0: I would say that for mine, it's definitely quality time. I'm a big recipient of quality time, a big giver of quality time. Um, I always prioritize like hanging out with jasmine or going on trips with her or you know like if there's anything um, but like any hiking opportunities and whatnot so um i think that for me it's definitely the the quality time one for sure um i'm not too much of a gift giver or like you know and she is a, a gift giver so like in I guess it kind of sucks in that sense because I don't really like highly, highly value gift receiving, but I think it's a it's a neat um aspect. But I would definitely say hands down, it's it's quality time. If I was with anybody that had like a very crazy work schedule or someone who um put their career as like number one in their life and that's all they did and they brought work home and stuff, I don't think it will work out.
2: Casey, hmm. did you want me to go or did you want to go? I know um, you have a quote. <laughs> you
1: can go.
2: Okay. Um, so for mine, I, I had a little bit of trouble because I think being in a relationship and whatnot really depends kind of, as I stated before, on your individual happiness. So I think my expectations aren't... I don't expect all these things, and I think all of them are kind of nice-to-haves but not necessary but if I had to choose one, it would probably be the quality time. But with my fiance being in school and him focusing on that, I know I can't be selfish and kind of expect him to be with me all the time. So I think I'm more of a neutral if, like if you get little snacks of each one, I don't really have one that's like always on or that I need all the time because I, I'm hoping I can adjust to it.
1: Dang. Um,
0: <laughs> way to undermine the five languages Love Courtney If, well, if, I, I, if I got it, the bottom hard. line question I was going to ask where Courtney got her sweater
2: uh, My cat sweater it's I like have a, a cat sushi it's
0: sweater like a cat, It's like a cat sushi sweater Those are two things I really like, I'm like I need to get
2: that I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got it from H&M They're so cute They're little fat white cats for our listeners And little sushis Yeah, oh. fish on them
0: I'm not, I I promise I won't tell Peta about it because it implies that we're gonna
2: eat the cats. <laughs> no, just imagine what? them as costumes. Okay. It's all the all the cats are in costumes. <laughs> oh my god. oh
1: so <laughs> Um, I think the five languages is what's screwing me over in finding a quality mate because I know that I really like words of affirmations and gift giving, a uh, receiving, and so when a mate does that to me, I'm like ah. You're touching my sensitive to spot. Marry me! It's <laughs> like, damn it! <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, it's, it, they're not good, for me, it's not a good indicator because I'm like really driven by those needs. And, um, you know, like, one thing is my, um, uh, I I was spoken my book. I recently read an amazing book. Um it it, u- it utilized attachment theory but for adults. And the book is called Attach and basically it basically distills why dysfunctional relationships exist. Um and and you know, like I'm part of that. And one thing I've found in the re- reason why like I behave a certain way is because um for me I have an insecure attachment. Like I feel like, they need to, like, I always need to find a safety and security. And when a mate does that language for me, I get, I, I, it's like it's emotional override. And I overlook all the other negative qualities or, like, not negative qualities per se, but qualities that are actually not good for me. Um, So, I'm not sure, like, for, um, how do I best describe it? I feel like the language of love is the external, you know, like, Um, but it's not. I I I don't think that's enough to connect. I don't know if that makes sense. Does that make sense? to you guys
2: like it's It's a component, but it shouldn't be the one driving factor. Mm
0: -hmm. I got it. Yes. So so metaphorically, it's like if you're looking at two jigsaw puzzles, Uh the the like connecting angles are the love languages, but the Uh piece might be from two totally different puzzles.
1: Yeah, and when I when I look for Mates, I forget that the other puzzle exists, and be, and I see like, like, for me, it's like, oh my god, he's saying nice thing to me. <laughs> I feel so good. <laughs> ah, I feel
0: so cursed. Yeah, you know, like,
1: yeah. So yeah, but you but um. But, like, the strange thing is the moment that I acknowledge the fact that I am not great at love or, like, I have certain anxieties about love that, you know, like, my raising up in the orphanage is-, is affecting me as an adult in terms of security. I'm actually, like, when I go on dates now, I just, I have this, like, I don't give a fuck attitude. I'm just going to be me. And... If I need to cuss, then I'll cuss. But if I want to make a silly, dumb joke, then I'll make a silly, dumb joke. And, like, what I'm finding is, like, I'm like, okay, am I happy being me with this person at this moment? Like, am I enjoying myself? Not that I'm, is that person enjoying me? Because, you know, that's a given. (laughs) 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 Um, uh, And, like, that's a criteria that I'm measuring to be, like, happy. And, uh, and. Yeah, I'm totally going to tangent. But I did have a quote because it's inspired by what Courtney said. And it's a quote from a book called A Course in Miracles. And the quote is Salvation comes from within you, not from outside sources. Um, I like to, ex- I think another quote similar is like this My salvation comes from me, it cannot come from anywhere else.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. How cool is that? The,
1: bam. Mm-hmm. Bam. Drop.
0: We're born alone, we die alone.
2: <laughs> That's the Carl version of Casey's quote.
0: Yep.
1: Clearly <laughs> a lot more romantic in his first right? advice. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Alright, great. Well, this has definitely been a pretty cool discussion. And now we turn to our listeners. What do you think? Do you think that marriage is a social construct? Are there any topics you'd like to hear on the show? Or do you want to join us for an upcoming episode? Send us your thoughts at infoologyresearchgroup.org, and also make sure to check us out on Twitter at twitter handle ology research. Peace.